It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. The world is changing rapidly, and I think a lot about what it takes to navigate a world that is built on the back of internet culture. This plays out powerfully in several arenas, but maybe nowhere more powerfully than in the way that the manosphere is beginning to redefine masculinity. Not necessarily for the better. To that end, I brought on Stephen Bonnell, the well-known streamer and social commentator that the internet calls Destiny. We had a fascinating conversation that started with the Tate phenomenon and what that says about modern masculinity, and went all the way to some really raw conversations about sex. Uh, If you have kids with you, this may not be the episode that you want to listen together, but for the adults in the room, I think you are going to find this one really, really interesting. And speaking of really interesting, head over to Amazon Music or wherever you're listening right now and be sure to subscribe to the show to make sure that you don't miss part two of this incredible conversation when it drops. It is not to be missed. All right, without further ado, I bring you Destiny. I'm Tom Billion, and welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody's like in their house, they work in their cubicle, they go home, they get on Discord, they play a game, they go to sleep, they don't have any partners, and they're miserable, but they don't know why. When you look at Red Pill or you look at them, I assume, don't let me put words in your mouth, but I assume there are parts of it that you're like, okay, these are actually useful ideas. That was my initial reaction. If if we don't want to blanket go after what the Red Pill community is chasing, what should we be aiming at? One thing that I don't like about a lot of Red Pill creators and like the Tates, I feel this thing, is people will always say things like, I'm luring you in with the cars and the money and the girls, but I'm ultimately trying to sell you self-improvement. I feel like that's a deal with the devil that just doesn't pan out. I don't think that you can capture interest with money. Talk about money, 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 self-improvement, money, 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 girls, self-improvement, money, 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 girls, girls. Because what's happening is you're fostering an attachment to and a desire for and a drive to acquire all of those material goods. And I don't think at the end of a two or three year process of that, can you just flip a switch and be like, you know what, actually, I'm just looking for like inner peace and self-fulfillment. Like, I think that has to be from the start. Like, I've never heard of like, Buddhist monks that are like, I just need to buy one Ferrari so that I can realize how much I don't need cars in my life, right? Like it doesn't work that way. I I think you have to be on a a journey from the very start, doing the things you're advocating for, doing the things that you think ultimately are going to resemble what your end product is. You can't do this bait and switch and pretend that everybody's going to get it. Like my guess would be if you could find ways to pull people or stick a probe in somebody's brand and measure it, the people that follow these red pill guys are probably some of the most materially driven people in the world, which is both ironic and sad because I think the the red pill and the manuscript stuff to some extent is like a response to kind of like the empty liberal wasteland of I need possessions and objects to be my hyper unique individual and not have any community orientation. I consider myself to be a very confident person. For whatever reason, I've been very independent for my whole life. I've been very confident my whole What's life. What's it anchored around? You're very smart. You think fast. Is it that? Um, I've, I was 
very much left to my own devices growing up. Like both my parents moved out by the time I was 15, 16, I lived in my own work. Like I was very much an independent kid. I'm not close but to that. That breaks most people. So why did it make you confident? I have no idea. I can't give you the answer to that. Can I guess? Um, if you want to. Interesting that, are you nervous about my guess? Uh, no, I can guess like 10 different things. I'm just curious oh, what you're going to guess. Your guess will be No, I'm not want to hear yours first. All right. So <laughs> my, my guess is, uh, you, you have a lot of intellectual horsepower you are very tethered to reality. Therefore, you're building maps of the world that are actually effective. And I think the most unhappy people are the people whose base assumptions are least tethered to reality. And because of that, their prediction engine breaks. And when your prediction engine breaks and you can't figure out how, if I do this, I will get, if I do A action, I will get B result. If you can't figure that out, life is going to be miserable and it will seem completely random. You will feel victimized. You will get paralyzed and and you will just throw your hands up because you feel like the world knocks you around and, and you're just here for the ride. But if you're like you, and for whatever reason, I don't know you well enough to know how you ended up here, but you are, you're able to build a rubric by which you think it isn't random. Like you really tether the way that you'll break down an argument, you'll be like, well, this is my North Star. This is what everything is aiming at. This um, base assumption is either true or false. You can test it against the world. Show me the data. You're very clear about that. If it's it's something I call the physics of progress. There, there just is a physics to the way that one makes progress in the life period. I don't care who you are. And I have a feeling because of your intellect that you were very able to navigate the world well. It doesn't mean you didn't end up as a carpet cleaner for a while, but like you navigated your way out of, you know, feeling bad about leaving college to take the job at the casino, getting fired from that, ending up in carpet cleaning, but you navigated it. And so I doubt you felt hopeless for any long period of time. No, that's true. Only a brief period when I did the carpet cleaning stuff was <laughs> like truly at the bottom of my sanity yeah but even at the bottom of that did you feel like i'm stuck here forever uh, yeah you did yeah when my ex that i had an abusive relationship with told me she was pregnant and when i f- basically flunked school uh for music to work full time after i basically entered a sophomore because i had so many ap credits to flunk school and then to get fired from the casino job that i was that i flunked school for yeah it was pretty <laughs> i felt pretty dumb okay so how did you get out because that moment may i got really super useful. super super lucky by stumbling onto the streaming stuff it was, hor- yeah, it was a really bad, it, it, that's, that's, it's always funny because like the most libertarian or like conservative I was in my life was at the height of the carpet cleaning. And then once I'd gotten into streaming and I've started to make more and more and more money, I'm moving further and further left because I realized how unbelievably horrible life is when you don't have money and how much things change when you do. But yeah, yeah I mean, truly it was like truly a lot of luck to, because I just happened to be born at the right time. I happened to play the right video games. Starcraft was the biggest streamed game basically in the world and i happened to like play a lot of starcraft growing up i happened to know a lot about like computer and technology yeah so i was just super right place in the right time yeah you can't ignore luck and you need to own when you got really lucky like my last company quest the timing was just luck i, I couldn't have done anything and and it was me getting really fed up at exactly the right moment so i was just a little bit ahead of everybody else when we entered the world of social media uh and so i will say that the rate of growth of that company is luck Sure. But the fact that we were able to build that company was not. There's a there's a saying, there's a quote that luck is um, preparation meets opportunity. So the lucky part is the opportunity, but you have to prepare to be ready to conquer, right? And I agree with that to some extent, but not for kids. Like I think at kids, it's just so like. Um, at what age are you drawing the line? The whole from zero to 18. So like, for example, um, I mean. You found streaming after that? Um, yeah, I think when I was 21 is when I started. 
here's an example of like, I'm, I'm aware that I, I put in a lot of work too and everything, but I'd like to be mindful of how different my life could have been if one or two things would have been changed. Um, so I, I discovered this about myself when I was studying for my son um, for whether or not he had ADHD. I'm pretty sure I have unbelievably unmanaged ADHD, but there were a couple things about it that I didn't understand until I started reading for my son. Um, so in retrospect, I look at like my schooling life and I understand a lot. I was a horrible student. Um, I was like, I had an assignment notebook that like my teacher had to sign and my parents had to sign because I was so bad about doing homework. Sometimes I would fall asleep in class because I was like staying up too late playing video games. Just the worst type of student ever. But the types of video games I happen to like, and this was totally at random, I don't get credit for this. I really liked role-playing games like Japanese RPGs. And so that's one lucky thing. A second lucky thing is I happened to be born at a time when there was no voice acting. So I was such a good reader. I was in all AP classes. I did a lot of dual enrollment. And you're saying you became a good reader because you could read the Because I would play those types of video so games. But let's say I would have grown up and I only played like first person shooters. I would have been a, I don't want to say a retard, but I would have been fucked. I would have been the dumbest kid in school ever. Because who would I be? Because I don't spend any time studying. But because I was such a good reader, and I think reading is like the most important skill that you can probably have in school. Um, and then for whatever reason, I had an aptitude for math. I don't want to say I flourished in school. I think I came out with like a, it was like a 2.9 GPA. But I like, I almost, I was like, three credits from going into college as a sophomore because I had done so much AP, so much doing worm and everything. All of that like academic, whatever you want to call it, was completely luck-based because I happened to play the right types of games growing up. And if I would have been born 10 years later where everybody has voice acting now, I, w- I don't even know if I'd be able to read. <laughs> I would just be like an idiot. I would be like, oh yeah, whatever. Like I would just be so much different, you know? And then the technology stuff, for whatever reason, I'm like very curious, but like I like to take things apart and put them back together. In the very early days of streaming, nowadays you push a button on OBS and you go live. Way back in the day, we had, have you ever heard of a program called Flash Media Live Encoder? Oh my God. It was this thing. You had to download like a different encoder to encode the video. You had to download a different program to capture the camera. We used, I think, I think it was Camtasia Studio. Um, we had to download something called virtual audio cables to route multiple channels of audio to one thing plus your headphone. You're running like six different programs. And, at, and while you're doing all of this, you're only limited to stream like 300 kilobits per second. Okay, Ooh. So this is way back then. But if you go back and you look at my videos on YouTube from like 12 years ago, they look pretty good. But it was because I spent so much time, like I remember the encoder, like people try to find like all these ways to make stream better. There's this like X264 encoder that was so good, but it was, it was only Japanese. So when you downloaded it, all the documentation is in Japanese. I don't think there was Google Translate back then. Nobody knew what the fuck anything was. You, there were no forums to get help, but- Do you speak Japanese? No, fuck no. I just would plug it in and tweak settings until eventually I got a really good image. But like so much of that was I worked. I worked a lot more than anybody else did to make it work. But the only reason I even had those tools was because of so many little lucky things that just happened to fall the right way for me growing up. You know, luck means something to you. It, luck is it means that it's not fair. That's the I think that's the thing that bothers me the most. And I see it especially through the eyes of my son. Like, I was able to, when I wanted him to go to school, I bought a house in the best school district so that he could do that. And over like COVID, like when these kids are in kindergarten, I think they had laptops assigned to them or iPads in kindergarten. Every single kid got one. And I moved from South South Omaha where I lived. And like some of these schools have like fucked like textbooks. And so when I see like, no offense to my kid, I love him, but he didn't do anything to earn any of the advantages that he has. And to some extent he's disadvantaged, I don't know, because my mom was split, but like, there are so many things that I could do to make his life easier just because I had a lot of money. And it's like, then I think of like all the kids who are like kind of fucked because their parents just don't happen to have enough money. And I'm like, man, that's such bullshit. And then I think to myself, like I consider myself to be, if you respect me, if you think I'm an intelligent individual, that's cool. But I was like one or two decisions away from, I would be the guy showing up at your house 
like cleaning your carpet and then that's all you would ever see me and I'd leave. And that could have been like the rest of my life. You know, I was like one or two different decisions away from that being the case. So it's interesting. If you, you said there were like one or two traits that you had that helped you be successful. If, if I wanted to really mess you up, what would I damage about you? Or if you think of it as video game stats, what, one of your areas of stats, what I want to knock down a couple pegs to really mess up your life. I'm assuming you're not talking about like maiming me or physically. No, no, no. Like <laughs> um, just think, think of it as game stats. The, the most important attribute I have that I think powered me for every part of my entire life was I just have very, very, very high self-esteem. I think I probably got that to some extent from my dad. Uh, my dad is like a guy who will work. And this is baseline. Yeah, like he'll work an impossible amount to like make things work. Even if they make bad financially, he'll work 80 hours a week if you have to. Um, and that was like the end of my life, the end of my like working life. That was that like, I'll do whatever I need to do. I'll keep working. I can do whatever. Um, but like, I'm very self-reliant, very self-dependent, um, very self-confident. Like I am my island. I'll figure my shit out. Like I'll do that. That ability or that fundamental trait has powered me through a lot. Like it helps me deal with a lot of hate online. It helps me deal with a lot of like adverse environments. It helps me deal with a lot of people that don't like me, death threats, whatever crazy shit you find online. Like I can deal with that way better than most people. And that's probably my most important attribute. That's really interesting. Okay. So think of your son as a video game character. And, um, I'm at the end of this, I'm going to ask you who the ideal like man is that you think people should look up to if, if it's somebody, even if it's a pop culture character, I will accept that answer, mm -hmm. but I'd love to know. So he's a video game character. What attributes are we going to give him and what person real or character are we modeling that after? I have no idea. I never figured that out. I feel bad for him because he's 12 now. But like when I think of all the things that shaped my life, they were like kind of bad things and I don't want him to like that's interesting. What do you yeah. do with that? Cause I agree. Cause this like, is so one of the reasons I didn't have kids. Yeah. I like, we did a lot of like moving around. A lot of houses got foreclosed on a lot of utilities got shut off. A lot of like dumb stuff like that. Well, I mean, being my own in a dark house with no electricity, like just sitting there, like doing nothing. Um, and I think a lot of these things went to shape my character. And I thought about that a lot with my kid. I was like, what should I do to this motherfucker to make him, you know, but like, I, like, you're not really going to do that as a parent. So I don't know. I, um, in terms of like, all I can do is I talk to him as much as I can. Um, I try to encourage him as much as I can. Um, I see he has a lot of the same struggles in school as me, which is really fucking frustrating because I, I remember there were certain math assignments that I would get and I would cry and then it's not hard math, but I would just cry because I want to sit down and do it. I you said you were good at math. I was, but I didn't want to sit down and do the homework. That was like the, that was the stupidest part about it. And I see for him, he's like really similar. Like he'll bring home, um, Sometimes when I go back, I'll help like coach him through or like teach him like certain things because, you know, he's having trouble in certain things in school and I can help catch him up or whatever. And for a while he was having trouble in math and I would, he would bring these assignments home. Um, I remember there's a, there's like a math assignment that he had. He got like zero out of six of these questions correct. And I'm like reading the paper and he's just the dumbest shit. And I'm like, Nathan, we need to sit down and do this. He's like, Oh, I want to go to Target. I want to buy these things. I want, I want like the new Five Nights at Freddy comic or whatever. I'm like, no, we're going to sit down and do it. And he's right shit and it's just stupid or whatever. If I get him to sit down and focus and talk him, like just make him like work on it. He can do everything flawlessly. And I'm like, bro, you're like sabotaging yourself. But I mean, he's like 11 when I'm telling him this. Like, what is it? I don't even know if he knew what sabotage meant at that age, right? But like, yeah, I, I see like a lot of the uh, similarities. So uh, he has access to medication now for his ADHD at least, which apparently I didn't. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Like he does a lot better in school now. But yeah, I, I feel like the most I could do is I wanted to feel like he can communicate with me always. So we've had like a lot of tough talks about like online content and conversations with people, uh, which are really weird. Cause I never had to deal with that growing up kind of, or it was a lot different. Um, 
yeah that but that's yeah i feel like that's the best i could do is make myself available to him and then if he wants to hang out or do anything or chat about anything like do that yeah mm. all right let's uh pretend that god forbid but something happens to you and you have to leave a set of ideas for him to grow into the man that you think will be i assume you use the word fulfillment or something along those lines um what would you want him to focus on um, and this is all meant to be a proxy for like, if the red pill sucks, yeah, no, then I what's the right play? So here, this is something, this is something that I have an issue with. I, I feel like maybe everybody feels this way. So me saying it is just, this is just my individual frame of reference and I'm too dumb to realize I'm the only one that thinks this way or that everybody thinks the same thing. I feel like you have, there's an idea to me of what a strong man is. And then there's like a caricature of a strong man. And I feel like that caricature is usually what's sold a lot in the red pill spaces. When I think of all of the people that I grew up and respected the most, they were men that commanded respect, irrespective of any power they wielded. It was just like, I, if I try to think, so here's like, here would be an example, okay? There were certain teachers, I'll call these like the, they're the red pill teachers. Everybody hates them. They give you demerits if you forget a book. They're screaming at kids in the hallway. And I guess to some extent they project, but I was like, wow, that's like a manly dude. He's like screaming at people, blah, blah, blah. Then there were two teachers. Oh my God, I had a band teacher, okay? This guy for four years, because I did um, win ensemble in, in school. Um, this guy commanded an unbelievable amount of respect. Uh, he very, very, very rarely would ever write you a demerit. But- he was really good at every instrument. He was really passionate about what he taught. He treated every child like an adult. Um, sometimes you're referring to people like, oh, Mr. Bonnell or whatever. Like, that's right. Very, very quiet in terms of how he carried himself. But if you, the worst feeling in the world was disappointing Mr. J, Mr. Johnson. Like, it, we could be practicing or whatever, and you just, you hadn't practiced your part. You didn't know it or whatever. And if you found out, like, sometimes he would stop rehearsal and he would step forward and he would say, <clears throat> hey, why don't you just go ahead and pack your instrument away today and go out and take a study hall? And it was like the worst feeling. And like that feeling was worse than any detention, any demerit, because you knew you disappointed him because he like commanded so much respect. When I think of like manly men, or if I think of like really masculine, respectable people, those are the types of people that I think about are people that they just, they, they do what they do exceedingly well. They're very passionate about it. They treat everyone else around them with respect. And if they're disappointed in you, like you feel like you've lost the world because it's like, this is a guy whose expectations you want to live up to. So I guess if I died or something happened or um, I, I would hope my kid would find somebody like that, but I don't know the... I don't know any mainstream figures where I'm like that guy. I feel like in old movies, I feel like that was kind of a common thing. Um, what was common? They, that you had the like quiet, that, that like the quiet, respectable man. I feel like when I think of like old stuff, um, it's funny now because I feel like if you remade a lot of these movies, people would just call it like, oh, you're just making fun of toxic masculinity. Do you ever see like the, the Mighty Ducks? A long time ago. Okay. You like, I feel like, I feel like if I sat and prepared a list, you have a lot of movies where you have an adolescent teen and he's growing up and he's like, fuck my parents. I don't want to do this. I don't want to blah, 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 blah. And then he usually he'll break from the team, you know, go play hooky or do his own thing. And eventually he comes back to realize like, okay, this coach before he's doing things a certain reason for a certain reason, he carries himself in a certain way and he's aspiring to something greater that I need to control my you know, my childish adolescent manly urges and I need to like be something greater than myself. And I feel like that was a story that was told over and over again through like film for young men and stuff. I don't know if you see those stories as much anymore, but yeah. So that was a really, really long road about Do yeah, you but. see those stories as much. That's a really good question. But the idea, so that to me is the modern media machine grappling with the fact that we no longer have, um, coming of age rituals for men, mm -hmm. because what that 
particular kid represents is the unchanneled male aggression. Yeah. So he's got it. He's usually one of the best players on the team, but he's erratic, Mm -hmm. bad home life. Nobody is shaping him. Nobody's taking that energy and saying, you need to be able to control this. Mm -hmm. And this is where I really fall on the whole idea of toxic masculinity is that masculinity is not toxic in and of itself, not by a long shot, but aggression can be wielded poorly, in which case it would look toxic, or you can not understand yourself. And so you're lashing out your emotions control you rather than you controlling your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so all of that then can lead to some very dark things, but like in mighty ducks, if you can have traditionally an older male figure who has learned to harness their aggression, uh, into something, especially in a team sport where now you're also elevating your team. There's a level of competition. So sort of combat, adjacent. And so it's tapping into all the things that young boys are already going to be feeling, but you're showing them, this is how you direct that energy into something positive, something that serves the group. You have to subordinate the sort of initial, like, um, this is my sort of emotional feeling. And even though I don't remember Mighty Ducks well enough, I'm going to imagine there was a moment where they would show the kid with unchecked aggression, gets in a fight, whatever, gets ejected from the game right when they need him and they Mm -hmm. end up losing. And then in the final game, uh, he gets provoked in the same way, shows restraint, controls his emotion, but then shows his competence and his toughness or whatever to, you know, get the winning shot. Yeah. I think, I think even, even more than, I think in the second movie, it was not even getting the winning shot because he was a puck hog or whatever. It was passing it back to the other kid and then letting him take the winning shot. And it showed like the development of, yeah. Yeah, that, I feel like when I when you now that we've just had this conversation, when I think of a lot of the red pill spaces, and a lot of the people that I know personally, they feel like the kid at the beginning of the movie where they have amazing potential. They're really good at some of the things they do. They're funny. They're entertaining. Um, but they haven't found a way to like positively channel that energy. Right. Like men are very strong in a lot of different ways and in influence and power in just the, the presence they wield and wielded responsibly. It's like the coolest, most awesome thing in the world. And then wielded irresponsibly. It's people. I guess, screaming at each other on camera, trafficking people and (laughs) telling you that wealth and casinos and all this stuff are the most, yeah. 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 So it's interesting. I am, I know sometimes people refer to you as the elder statesman of streaming, uh, which is hilarious to me as you are so much younger than I am. Sure. But when I look at the red pill community, um, and I admittedly don't know it well, not like you, but it, it does bring out a paternal side of me. So I know you've debated or at least done commentary on just pearly things. She made my radar a while ago and she really triggers like this paternal thing in me. So I'll, I'll, I'll tweet back at her. So she'll put something crazy like divorce should be illegal. Every two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, look, I get the energy. I understand what you're trying to accomplish, but may I like open your mind to that? And so there is there, I want to engage more with that community in a way to be like, hey, there is a vision on the other side of this coming from somebody. I've had all the, the success that you guys are aiming for. I used to be terrible with women. I could not get laid. I solved that problem. Then I was fucking broke. I did not know how to make money. I solved that problem. Uh, and so all the trappings, and I never market myself around like private jets and big house and all that. Like I, to your earlier point, it's a Faustian bargain. So I, I have long believed you want to add value to people in the way that um, if you have a product is how I'm normally explaining it. You want to add free value in the way that you're going to add your paid value. So you don't ever want to cause that bait and switch. It's like, I want to paint 
the the real life that I live as the thing that you should be aspiring towards, including the moment when I went from um, a normal amount of money to because we sold a piece of the company. So it's literally instantaneous. So you go from, man, I hope one day I'm rich. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And then boom, in, in a 60 second span, you suddenly are wealthy. And I remember being like, oh, wow, all of my insecurities are still present. Yeah. And so it was like this really big wake up call of like, okay, cool. Lesson learned. Got it. I know that chasing money is never going to be the thing because what really matters is how I feel about myself when I'm by myself. And so it's like, I, I was really freaked out when there was no red pill and it was just all sort of men are bad that I was like, okay, that's a disaster waiting to happen. And I think that there are really bad problems that I think are still on the horizon that men have been, if you look at just participation in education, higher education, something very bad is happening. Women are thriving and men are tanking was the face that I've misread data or. No, you're you're right. It's really bad. Not only is it bad in that, like, um, it's, I don't want to say sexist, but like there was a huge push for women to perform better in school, which by the way, everything about that is really funny because I think nobody wants to admit it, but I think for a long time, people, everybody just kind of assume that like women are just kind of dumb compared to men and they can't really, they're never really going to be competitive in that environment. But then as more research comes out, it's really funny because it's like, fuck, actually women might actually be <laughs> better suited opposite. towards classrooms because guys like to go yeah. like are a little bit more physically tuned. We want to like run around and do stuff. Maybe women are better suited than men, but we've gone down that path and we've, and women are like destroying men in college achievement now. But there's a lot of the old kind of I'll say sexist expectations of society when COVID rolled around and people needed to stay at home and work more, it was the men that typically did it. So more men dropped out of school than women. So during COVID, it got even more exaggerated. And socially, we are absolutely not in an area where we can begin to have the conversation of like, maybe we need to like have some affirmative action for men getting back into school. That conversation is not going to happen for at least 10 years because there's just no way people look at you crazy. So um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of scary. The, the direction that we're headed at there. You can't, one thing that people on the left have a really hard time doing, um, have you ever heard of a Jordan Peterson talking about integrating your shadow? Yes. Yeah. So this is something that, um, I learned this at a really early age for some reason. I'm so happy I did. But like, sometimes you can have a negative personality trait and your immediate reaction is you just want to not do that thing ever, okay? I need to get rid of that completely. But the problem is, is uh, you mentioned earlier, you said a phrase that I say a lot, I'm trying to remember what it was exactly, but like, you don't want to completely get rid of a thing. You want to be able to capitalize on the positives while downplaying the negative or not downplaying, but like reducing the negatives as much as possible. And people don't ever seem capable of doing that. So you, you have these issues relating to like masculinity that's toxic. Absolutely. And we need to like deal with those things. But instead of like dealing with them and kind of capitalizing the positive aspects, it's like all of it is trash, throw it out. We need to feminize everybody, blah, blah, blah. I know that's not exactly what it is, but that's what it feels like sometimes. And I think a lot of men feel that way. Um, and it's so hard for people to just be like, okay, hold on. There's not everything here is bad. Like, can we like draw a circle around like what's good and try to like salvage that and then maybe like reduce some of the, the, the worse off things. It's like, nobody can do that. It drives me fucking crazy. One of the, I tell this like defining yourself in like the reaction or as a reactionary to whatever particular thing you don't like. You define yourself as the opposition. Mm. It's just so dumb. 
When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's interesting. Uh, I agree. That doesn't make any sense. It touches on something, though, that I think is really important. So I am a big believer that uh, whether you're talking about right or left, male or female, 
the reason that humans have done so well is that we have those polarities and it's the tension between the two that create a functioning society. And what worries me is that I think a big part of modern culture is that we have created a sense of it should be one or the other. Like I, I will just tell you right now from uh, whether we're talking about right or left, I I think we need both. You have to have both. And you, you should actively be terrified if you yourself ever have the impulse to get rid of the other side. Because I think, uh, and I suppose I should have set this up, my audience will be very familiar with this, but um, I, I just come from the, the, one of the base beliefs for me that make up my entire worldview is that you're having a biological experience and you cannot accurately predict your, the outcome of your behaviors until you understand your product of evolution and that your um, part of your moods are determined by these microbes that live in your digestive tract that respond to the things that you eat. Uh, part of your energy, all of your energy level is these little organelles that don't even have your same DNA that live inside of your cells. And you're just, you're, you're so influenced by your biology in ways that people can't even imagine. And so you, you have to understand, okay, you're having this biological experience. If you're a social creature, uh, evolution is, is blind watchmaker. It's not thinking I'm going to present it as if it were thinking it's not, but it, this is how it feels. Uh, okay. I have to get these people to cooperate flexibly in really large numbers. Um, if I let everybody, so the left would be, um, compassion, nobody left behind. And then the right would be personal responsibility. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, gross generalizations, but it, it gets us in ballparks. And so if we just, cause to me, as somebody who naturally leans left, when I hear that, I'm like, Oh word. Yeah. Don't leave anybody behind. That's amazing. That feels good to me. And the problem is that it doesn't work and you get what will round to, it's a very complicated issue, but we'll round it to the freeloader problem. Once people realize, oh, nobody left behind, word, go hunt for me, just bring me some back. And then people start to get pissed, like what the fuck? So that community is going to implode unless there's a countervailing force, which is the right, which is no, hold on. Like if we're all gonna starve, we need to go out, hunt. We have to get good at hunting. We can't make excuses. We just have to go do this. And so you need both in my estimation. And the second that you no longer want the friction between the two, you have a problem. So now if you apply this to male and female, the second you say one is bad and you want to get rid of it and we want to feminize men, which is what I feel like we've been doing over the last decade, maybe more. And as you do that, you end up not getting the tension between the two poles and you begin to get things that become pathological. Cause I think it's pathology on both sides. I think if everything goes hyper feminine, you get pathology. If everything goes hyper masculine, you get pathology. And, but it's, it's really hard for people to say, Oh, I act, I, I want to be kept in check. What I want to know is what do you think it says about modern civilization that, or modern culture that Andrew Tate has become a uh, target for a lot of young men to aim to be like? I think that there are kind of these empty um, buckets in your head that need to be filled with things. Uh, so that might be parents, it might be school, it might be media and entertainment, it might be sports. Like there are these kind of like really fundamental things that every person needs and role models and people telling you how to live your life and what to do is also probably an important thing for most people. I think that in the push to kind of like elevate women and minorities and all of these other types of people in society that historically didn't have the best representation, I think we've kind of made the mistake of turning 
like white people, young men into like the enemy because they had the stage for so long. Two is that he displays a lot of the stereotypical markers for success for men, girls, cars, money, travel, um, which is cool. I think that's probably why people look to them. Uh, as far as like any charges, um, man, some, uh, somebody emailed me a paper recently, I just read it, and it had to do with the difference between epistemic bubbles and echo chambers. And this paper goes on to basically say that like an epistemic bubble is you happen to live in a certain area and you only hear voices that agree with you and you kind of develop a, a viewpoint that way. And the way that you would deal with those people would be different than people who live in the echo chamber. And an echo chamber is different than an epistemic bubble because in an echo chamber, you don't just have voices that agree with you. You actively try to discredit voices that disagree with you. When you're in an epistemic bubble, sometimes showing somebody another point of view can like open their eyes and broaden their perspective. You know, like, hey, did you know that white people feel this way? Black people feel this way? Women feel this way? Men, right? And like, oh, I didn't consider that before. So people in an epistemic bubble can be opened. People in echo chambers are harder because sometimes providing a contrary point of view reinforces the primary belief. So when you ask me, you know, for Andrew Tate, does getting locked up or arrested, does that help or hurt them? Personally, I tend to believe that a lot of those people live in the echo chamber because they're actively discrediting outside voices. So when they're getting attacked from the outside, that reinforces the belief that they have that it's actually probably good. It makes sense. He is being arrested. All these charges are fake. Everybody's after them. The Matrix is attacking them because they're like such truth sayers. So I think with their core fans, I think the way that a lot of controversy works is the amount of fans you have will start to narrow, but the core fans become more and more... Um, like obsessed or invested. Like I would say similarly for like Donald Trump and the indictments, every time like a new thing comes out, I think he loses a few fans where people are like, this is too much. But the core fans that are still supporting him are like, this is even better than before. I'm glad he's, you know, he should be doing these things, like stick it to the guy and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm a huge liberal, very much establishment shill. I love all of that. But <laughs> um, for, uh, unironically, I am, I super am. Um, I'll, we can fight over the FDA. I think CDC, I'll defend all of it, okay? But um, one of the good critiques, I think, of liberalism, liberalism sold this idea to everybody that you can be whatever individual you want to pursue any kind of lifestyle you want irrespective of the roles preordained by society or church or whatever on you which to some extent i think has been a great success so like i would point to women right they have reproductive control and they have uh the ability to work right which are women are pursuing those lives they're doing things they never could historically like that's cool in some ways though there is a trade that we made where we traded away probably too much community in exchange for the individuality thing and individuality is cool and awesome, but I think as people, we probably have a need. One of those buckets in our head has to be filled with something greater than yourself. I think you have to live for something that's a little bit more than you. Um, it could be family. It could be a church. It could be a community, society, whatever. It has to be something greater than you. And trading away that too much, I think, is kind of in a, in a very, very, very roundabout way has led to this kind of super atomization where everybody's like in their house. They work in their cubicle, they go home, they get on Discord, they play a game, they go to sleep, they're making 120000 a year, they don't have any partners, and they're fucking miserable, but they don't know why, because they've hit like all the liberal markers for success. Good education, good job, making money, hasn't partner yet. So I think that um, a lot of these kind of new movements popping up, I think, are in a response to that sort of like spiritual destitution. But then my critique was that a lot of them, in, in a roundabout way, kind of chase the same dragon, you know? It's very interesting. So I'm going to restate what I think you just said. Let Go me for know it. if I'm on track. So you have you have a vision that the liberal um, 
mind. I don't know the right way to the the liberal vision anyway. Sure. Is when that, I say liberal here, I'm sorry. I mean it in like the international, like capital L liberal, like the individualist. So like conservatives and liberals in the United States would both be like capital L liberals. Mm. They're for like individual rights, individual pursuit of you know what makes you happy and everything. Is what I mean. Yeah. Right. So in in that narrative becoming dominant, people pursued that. They atomize themselves. I think at the individual level, they pursue all the things that are painted for them, but that ends up creating a, either creating a vacuum hole in their life, or it stops the normal mechanisms that would fill that hole from filling it. Um, is that accurate so far? Yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So one of the questions that, that I want to ask you specifically as somebody that debates a lot is when I, a lot of times I'll be watching a debate and in fairness to you, you're the only person I ever see that tries to ground a debate. Like here are the, the terms, here's what we're trying to accomplish. But I think there's an even more meta thing here, which I think what you're saying speaks to, which is you need to know what your North star is. So as an entrepreneur, you always have to know what goal am I trying to accomplish so that you can get real world feedback. So I try a thing. Okay. I'm going to pursue, um, getting a good job, getting an education, um, doing the things that I love, me, me, me pursue that. Uh, and if the markers of success are like what you were, if we're tying this back to the Tate brothers, if the markers of success are women, cars, money, houses, girls, travel, jets, whatever. Your KPIs are going to be your bank account increasing. Yeah, exactly. And so it may not have anything to do with what I'll call the evolutionary algorithm that's running in your mind, which tells you to, in my estimation, seek fulfillment, which is a completely different game. And so if you don't know what your North Star is, you get very confused when you win the game and don't feel the way that you thought you were going to feel, but you never really pulled out into the light to say, oh, what I'm actually optimizing for is a feeling. So that to me feels like the, the structure that's needed in a debate would be like, I would need everybody to agree first and foremost, what are we trying to accomplish? Like as we debate this point, there is some overarching thing. So as you move through life, as you evaluate a stance on something, which you really are one of the most clear-headed thinkers I've encountered uh, in your genre of debate, which it's not often, saying much, but <laughs> well, often it actually is saying a lot. It's oh, okay. you're that far ahead of most of the people that are just bickering to bicker. But what what is the most meta thing that you're aiming at? The the most the most meta 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 thing if we ground everything out um, in terms of like moral philosophy uh, there's like a couple of like very fundamental beliefs I have one is that uh, epistemically metaphysically I exist I perceive things whatever blah 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 um, I exist as an individual there's some amount of like things that make me happy that satisfy me um, and then there are other people in the world that have a 99% shared foundation in terms of like having similar preferences. So we all want to have food, shelter, um, clothing, families, friends. Um, that's one aspect. And then a second aspect is I think when humans collaborate with each other, they create value, right? So if you have like 10 happiness units on your own and this guy has 10 happiness units, when you come together, you've created more than 20, you're at like 50 to hundred, right? That, um, the, the, collection of human society is greater than the sum of all of its parts. There's something um, abstract that's like created there. So starting from that kind of like foundation, 
you can kind of like build out this idea of like this Rawlsian sense of like justice and these like social contracts where the goal I think for any successful society should be to make it so you enable as many people to seek fulfillment or happiness or success as possible. And that's kind of how I orient myself around like my social or political positions. That's on the like the broadest like meta sense, yeah. I have a hypothesis and my hypothesis is that there's only one thing any human being should ever aim at at the individual level, at the collective level, period, end of story, because of, again, going back to just, there's an evolutionary algorithm that I believe is running in people's brains. You can say it was handed to you by God or millions of years of evolution, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the human animal, which is a social creature, uh, and the thing that has made us the most dominant apex predator the world has ever seen, ironically, is our ability to flexibly cooperate. And when you look at, okay, what would need to be true, given that nature only has two levers, pleasure and pain, mm -hmm. there end up just being certain things that are true about the way that our brain operates. Mm -hmm. So I, I will say that I think the ultimate North Star of everything, everything, everything uh, is human flourishing. Then if you were going to say, okay, that's really vague, define flourishing, I would say there is one neurochemical state that is the closest thing to uh, stable, what I think people would call happiness, but I think happiness is the wrong word because it's so transient. And that would be for, like, fulfillment. fulfillment yeah. yeah. So now then I break down, I think that there's a recipe for fulfillment, which is that you have to work really hard. That That's like a key thing. You just You have to work really hard or it won't work. So you have to work really hard to gain a set of skills that matter to you. So it's exciting for you just to get good at that thing. So for you, whether it's music or debating, whatever, like you had to work hard, had to be something that you cared about, and it has to elevate you and other people. And if you do that thing, that, that sense of fulfillment will survive even something like grief, whereas happiness doesn't survive grief. And so as I like, see people arguing, I'm just like, okay, well, we have a mechanism by which we can determine which of these paths is really going to work, which is one, we have to be willing to encounter reality. So we have to get out of the theoretical and into, okay, you ran that trial. Now look at the real world results. Did it increase human flourishing or decrease human flourishing? Um, and then, you know, you tweak the, the tests that you run until you get to something that's more and more high functioning. But I often find that people end up debating at the ledger level, right? So did it make more money, less money, whatever. And if that isn't the, the North Star, you run into problems. Are you a Sam Harris fan? I, I have learned many things from Sam Harris. I would say I recently disagree a bit with some of the things that he's focused on, but I haven't gone into researching him in years. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, the human flourishing thing reminds me of his moral landscape. Yes. That I would say is one thing I am completely in line with, with the idea of making that just the North star of reduced suffering. Mm -hmm. That to me is a little too vague. Uh, also it, it is a, a move away from strategy versus a move towards, mm -hmm. um, I think I, I think I largely agree with what you say, but in kind of a meaningless sense, and that I agree that we should all pursue human flourishing, but it, it begs the question a bit because it's like, well, if it's flourishing, it's probably good. Therefore, we ought to pursue it. Usually the nitty gritty comes down to what do we mean by human flourishing? That's always the tough one when people argue because technically, like the maximum state of human flourishing in society would probably be giving everybody like a lethal dose of heroin. <laughs> Because for a brief moment in time, we would be shining brighter than the brightest star in the galaxy, and then everybody would die. <laughs> but um, but then the, well, hold the, on, that makes an assumption that that 
is so cognitively jarring for me. It makes me realize I have some other program running in my mind. So, uh, Clearly for me, though, this is unexplored. I have a longevity bias. So anything that, that even if you sort of gave me peak emotion from a neurochemical manipulation standpoint, certainly if it breaks longevity, I would automatically reject it out of hand, which is interesting. I bet you wouldn't out of hand. I, because I bet I'm sure if you're, you're, if you're a big longevity guy, I'm sure you've heard of the term health span, right? Yep. I'm sure that there's probably some calculation where you wouldn't trade some amount of health span for lifespan. I'm yeah, guessing but you'd have to, now we get into thought experiments, which may or may not be useful, but for that, the thought experiment would need to be, if I knew there was no hope whatsoever of ever getting better, yeah. then immediately I click over into what are we doing here? I sure. watched my cousin die of cancer and I was just like, what are you doing? At the end, there was he couldn't be comfortable. The only time he was mildly comfortable is when he was sleeping. He was constantly gasping for air. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, you're never going home. You know that, right? Like, this is a one-way street. Medicine is not going to change so radically. You're not going to wake up tomorrow, and this is going to be cured. So if it were me, at that point, I for sure would have tapped out. Uh, but if you told me, hey, if you just make it another three years, I know it's grueling, but if you can just make it another three years, I would want to. So I, there becomes a point where I would sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I'm yeah I'm saying to some extent though. There was a really interesting. There was a guy that um I always think I feel like you can learn you can learn at least one thing from anybody. And there was a guy that I was arguing with a long time ago about investing, and he wasn't like the brightest cookie in the uh, pack of cookies. I need a better analogy. <laughs> but um the uh, I guess I'm not the the best cookie in the pack of cookies. Um, he, we were arguing about like investing and he, this is a guy, he was a, um, he was a streamer and he made a lot of money, but he spent it like immediately. And my money goes my bank account to my Vanguard account to an ETF, all of it. Okay. Just investing in everything, 401k, IRA, cause I want to be able to retire when I get banned from everything. Right. Um, and I, and I remember this guy is like, oh yeah, like I don't buy anything. Like I try to save up enough for taxes. Hopefully I've got enough at the end of the year. And I'm like, why would you waste all of your money? You're going to be fucked at retirement. And he said something that was so profoundly stupid and just stunned me. And I actually, it stuck with me for a long time. And he's like, why would I want to save up all my money so that I can like have fun when I'm 40 and 50, when I can have fun now when I'm 20 and 30. And I had no response and I still don't. And I'm like, it's kind of a good point. Um, there is like a moderating force or there needs to be some balance because like, would it be worth it? What is it called? Um, you've heard of fire, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. For people that obsess about trying to retire at 35, is that worth trading your whole twenties and early thirties to hit that early retirement? And now you're ready to like, kind of like party and have fun, but you're also 35 and it's like, everything's a little bit slower and you've got all your friends that have all these stories and stuff from their twenties and they might not be as financially independent as you. But, um, yeah, it was just, it was such a statement that just seemed on its face, like so stupid. And I was like, Hmm, maybe, you know, I'm not sure. I think about this a lot. Mm -hmm. As we were talking about before we started rolling, I've decided not to have kids, but I really had to think about in each different phase of my life, I will have a different frame of reference. So mm -hmm. when I'm 80, I will for sure be um, very traumatized that I didn't have kids because you <laughs> okay. want to be surrounded by a sense of like, there's something living beyond me, somebody to love you back, 
you know, I mean, God forbid my wife dies, let's say many of my friends have died, and the normal anchor that you would have, and of course it can't be guaranteed, but the normal anchor that you would have would be the love of your kids. And so I'm forgoing that. And so I really had to step into the different phases of my life, try to project as much as I can what my frame of reference will be, how I'll think about the world. And I thought, ooh, by the time I'm 80, for sure, for sure, I'm going to regret not having kids. But I can deal with things. I can put things in place, whether it's mentoring people or, I mean, if I can make my company successful for that long, then certainly having a team that's counting on me, like that kind of stuff Uh uh, really means a lot to me. But I think you really do have to be able to step into that. And, And for people that have never heard me talk about frame of reference before. So I think frame of reference determines your entire life. And your frame of reference is the warped funhouse mirror by which you see yourself in the world. It is warped. It does not represent reality, but it is the, the set of beliefs, values that you carry choices that you've made about what to believe about yourself, what to believe about the world. And it, ultimately does change what you see when you look out at the world. Uh And I don't think people understand how malleable their perspective really is. Uh, They think that their frame of reference is simply objective truth, and they don't realize how distorted all of our perceptions really are. And so um, when I think about that and looking at my life, like whether should I be saving that money, Uh, I've gone through that phase. And it was really fun. And I gamified saving money the way that I now gamify building a business. And so I was really having a good time, penny pinching, saving my money, like really trying to grow things that way. Um, and so it, it really comes down to, can you get the dopamine? It's, it, everything is neurochemistry, right? And so are you able to, through fire or whatever, manipulate your neurochemistry so that you can get the result that you want? And going back to the red pill community, the thing that I worry about is that they have the wrong frame of reference. And so their frame of reference that they're living in, they look at somebody that has money and girls and they say, oh my God, that is so cool. And I admire that person so much. And if I had those things, I would admire myself. It's not even that conscious. They just look at, ah, it's fucking cool. Yeah. But what's really going on is that, that sense of, oh, if I have that, I will finally like myself in the way that I like them. And then they get those things and realize this didn't touch any of my insecurities. And so the frame of reference they expect to get upon having those things is not the frame of reference that they actually get. And it becomes so disillusioning that it can be very, very disheartening. You, you, what you're describing to me sounds like a little bit like first principles for a business that like you have like a, this is your mission statement. This is what you're oriented towards and everything is heading in that direction. I think ideally, if you do have that end goal in mind, every part of the journey, even the parts that have friction should be somewhat fulfilling, right? We were kind of joking earlier about, um, before the camera, we were talking about like running and going to the gym or whatever. Um, when I go to the gym, it doesn't necessarily feel good in a sense of like, oh, wow, I'm glad I moved stuff around, but it feels good to make progress and it feels good to know that I did it, right? Uh, like something, I'm sure everybody knows this by now that like, sometimes there are days where you don't want to go to the gym and it kind of sucks and you do it anyway. There has never been a single time ever where you didn't really want to go and then you went and then afterwards you were like, man, I really shouldn't have gone to the gym. I should have just stayed home. You always feel good that you did it, right? Because you're building towards something. But um, 
similar to the analogy that I used before that deal with the devil, you can't build towards like massive wealth, getting the girls and all these things and build and build and build and build. And then once you've got that flip a switch and be like, okay, well now I want like fulfillment and confidence and self-esteem because it's impossible to convince anybody after otherwise, but like living in this world now and being around like so many millionaires, so many incredibly beautiful people, men and women, it would blow people's minds how much insecurity there is here. Like it's actually unbelievable. Like I will see people that are, are like Greek gods in terms of like attractiveness that think they have to like spend 12 minutes on Facetune with every fucking picture on their Instagram to like make it look good or people that think they're fat or people that just like feel insecure about like the company around them or whatever. And on paper, their life should be perfect, but like fulfillment and happiness don't happen on accident. There's like a deliberate process that you have to do to build these things out. And it's never just going to happen because you happen to chase something else. It's not like once you have, Five million in the bank. Oh my God, I just got so much self confidence. Like, it just doesn't work that way, right? Like, if you're not confident when you're broke, you're not going to be confident when you're rich, you know? You might feel some sort of like false sense of confidence, but it's a lot different, right? I always tell people when they come onto my stream, it's always funny. Somebody will say something like, oh, like, I'm so happy. Like, uh, you're the comments you're separate about me were like so good. And I'm like, that's the worst thing in the world. Because if you like the comments when they're good, you're going to hate yourself when they're bad. You have to exist like independent of it and build like out on something different. Yeah. But it's, it's really hard to communicate to other people. As someone who is constantly learning new information and skills, I've found some tricks to most effectively and efficiently retain and remember that information. And one of the keys to this process is actively engaging with the content. You have to use it. And when it comes to learning a new language, the most efficient app out there is Babbel. With Babbel's revolutionary conversation-based approach, learning a new language is both efficient and effective. With quick, 10-minute lessons rooted in real-life situations, you can start actually speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Take it from somebody who has struggled mightily to learn Greek to impress my beloved wife and my in-laws. I really wish Babbel had existed back then. It would have helped so much. So I highly encourage you guys to check out Babbel today and take advantage of the special deal for Impact Theory listeners right now. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash impact theory. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash impact theory. And that's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. Again, slash impact theory. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. 
It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Agreed. So going back, if the way that the Tate brothers, if the message that they put out, the and, and do you consider them a good representative of the Red Pill community? Um, the Red Pill community is so fractured right now, it's hard to say. Like the Red Pill community, I think, still tries to take ownership of Andrew and Tristan, but Andrew and Tristan are desperately trying to... Um, uh, not pardon themselves, uh, distance themselves from the red pill community. Like they literally tweet out like red pill guys are goofy. Don't associate us with that movement. Like interesting. Yeah. What's the, upon what line do they differentiate themselves? Um, there's like a red pill communities tried to incorporate a lot of like trad con ideas but in some ways, they're the least con. traditional trad, conservative. conservative. So like the idea that like your goal is to find a woman, like these are trad con ideas. I want to find a woman with a low body count where I'm the leader of the relationship and the head of the household and I'm the man in the relationship. That's like trad con. But red pill is also, I need to fuck 50 women by the time I'm 35. Um, I need to have three or four girlfriends at once. I need to ignore my main girlfriend so that she still likes me. And I need to constantly do things to increase my wealth or whatever, because that's like the most important thing at the end of the day. And maybe I need to get a vasectomy when I'm 20 so I don't accidentally have children, right? Like that's like red pill. So obviously there's a lot of conflict in these two worlds. And it's been super fascinating watching like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh fight with like uh, Fresh and Fit, like Myron and... um uh, Walter, uh, fresh and fit. Um, yeah. So the, the worlds have like divided quite a bit over the past like year, like they came crashing together and now they're like flying apart. Um, I don't know where, I, I don't know exactly where Andrew and Tristan are trying to end up. It's hard to know because there's a lot of media strategy that's probably being employed right now. Like they're trying to talk a lot about their case. So they're trying to win in the public court of opinion. I don't know if maybe in Romania there's like a gag order once the trial starts, so they're trying to get everything out right now. I have no idea, but yeah. So it's hard. I don't know exactly. Like when, when I'm looking at them, I'm seeing like a media empire with a guy that is like looking down the barrel of a potential big conviction for trafficking. So their stuff is probably very strategic in terms of what they're trying to do. I don't know if it's like, this is just red pill or whatever. These are people that are trying to, yeah, maneuver in some kind of intelligent way to save themselves or their careers. Mm. And how do you think about that? It's pretty dark, right? So uh, you have said publicly that you think that they're guilty. Assuming everything they've said in their videos is true. Absolutely. Right. But he, maybe he might be lying in his videos or hyping stuff up maybe, but playing a character or whatever. Possibly, but he plays it exceedingly well. Like he literally describes everything you need to do to be a pimp, everything you need to do to trap girls, everything you need to do to steal money from their taxes, everything Jesus. you need to do to get the, yeah. So I mean, yeah, but again, it could be it could be false. Like I've said it, I've said it before. I'll say it again a million times. We should wait for them to go to court. Wait for the prosecution to present their evidence. Let them fight it and see what happens. Yeah. Do you play video games? Yes, but only one. What? Ironically, Destiny. Oh, that is my <laughs> game. I'm obsessed, dude. I love gotcha. it so much. Do you ever hear of or you ever play a game called Eve Online? 
I know it well, but I've never played it. Know it well. Okay. Um, there is some, there's a lot of leadership stuff and leading lots of people, even in games that carries over to real life, which is really funny. Like in one-to-one ways, you learn things about leading in games that carry over to real life leadership. And um, something I learned that was like really important to me, somebody else brought this concept that my real life is really important. Sometimes we would try to think of like new doctrines for our fleets to go for. So different fits for the ships, different types of ships, different ammo or whatever, right? And we'd get a group of people together and we'd decide on a doctrine and we'd do things and they're fun, but sometimes we'd miss stuff or whatever. Something that I learned about like halfway through my career, another person told me this, is anytime you want to make a big decision involving the entire corporation, it's really important to appoint a devil's advocate. You have to have somebody there that's advocating against it, mm-hmm. even if you're ultimately going to choose this, yeah. because that the, the something is a, there about the tension that will keep you a little bit more grounded otherwise. Um, and that, that yeah, that the tension is really, really, really important. It's really important. So in business, they would call that red team, which I think is a term they stole from the military. So I have people, what I tell people on my team is, okay, what you want to do, don't try to bend everybody to be like you. So I'm a certain way. I'm the visionary leader. Okay. So I'm going to be prone to excitement into rose colored glasses. This is all going to work. It's going to be amazing. And there are other people on the team that are like me. Now, when an idea is fragile, I'm going to go to the people that are like me. And I'm going to be like, yo, I have this idea. It's so cool. And it won't survive negativity. It's, it's just, I don't quite know how it's going to work yet. And so if people shit on it, then I'm like, ah, fuck. And I'll lose my own excitement for it. So in the beginning, I go find the people that are going to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And they see what I see. Then when we're like, hey, this might actually be real. Then you go find the people that are... Uh, by nature, they see problems. And so it's normally you're going to go to somebody in operations. Now, I'm thankful that my business partner is my wife. She is operationally minded. So when something needs to be assailed from just like a logistical standpoint, it's not like she's playing a role or trying to ruin it. That's just how she sees the world. And so she'll go and be like, oh, but what about this? And how are you going to pull that off? And what's that going to cost? Right. And so then you start going, okay, cool. I see the problems. But if you don't, if you're not checking yourself against reality, then you devolve into madness. I agree. And so bringing it back to, to um, what I hope these young men will begin to realize, you have to check your strategies against reality. And I think anybody in the red pill community, you're going to get slapped around by reality. And I think you already nailed exactly what that's going to be, which is you're going to find you have a hole in your heart and it never gets filled or it's created by the way that you act. I actually haven't thought enough about it to know if it's a hole that permanently exists and your job is to fill it or if it's something that arises out of lack. I, I don't I think there's probably like question. naturally in the human mind, we have a lot of, there's a name I'm like, I'm trying to think of. I should know this from my carpet cleaning days because there are these little like octets or dossets or things that like get filled with dye. I know it was true for carpet fiber. There are these little things, these little holes that get filled. I think naturally we have some of these in our head that need to be filled. So like socialization, I'm pretty sure is one of the most important aspects, even Mm. of our physical health is like socializing with other people. That's like a natural thing that exists and it's never going to go away. Like if you live as a hermit, Mm. well, maybe in the most extreme examples for most people that won't happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's, One of the difficulties I think when it comes to red pill stuff or people selling a certain idea is it's really hard to sell an idea of internal like fulfillment or happiness. I'll say fulfillment. It's hard to tell people how important that is when it's so hard to show. 
versus the other guys that have a lot of things mm. to show. Yep. Like if you put me in a room with like any red pill guy, I would bet my whole life that I know I'm more confident than every single one of these people. But to a lot of people, they would look at me and they would go, you're coping, you're 100% coping, right? But it's because like on a lot of these guys, like their lifestyles, they try to live it like as flashy as possible. There was a guy that I fucking argued with, a huge phony fraud guy. This guy fucking rents a Ferrari to drive to podcasts in Miami, okay? Uh, his name was MLD. Uh, I saw some of the friction between you yeah, guys. Yeah, holy shit. Yeah. Not friction. That guy is completely obliterated, okay? He got lit on fire and fucking tossed into the wind like the fucking loser he is. But um, this guy, he like rents Ferraris to like drive to podcasts. I was like, for who? Right? Like I still drive a $40,000 car. It? Yes. Yeah. Or it might have even been a Lamborghini, actually. It might have been a Lambo that he rented. Um, and it's like, but like, how do you sell that idea of like, listen, like being confident in yourself, like even when I'm saying it, it sounds fucking lame, right? It only doesn't to me because I've lived my life and I know that is my most important asset. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know how to sell that to, to people. I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, because it doesn't look cool. It doesn't look like, oh, like I woke up today and there's like another three YouTubers just made hit pieces on me, but you know, I don't care about it that much. Like I know, and people in my industry know, like that's a really good ability to have. But for like most people, it's like, I think I'd rather just have the Bugatti and I'll have like the lack of self-esteem. <laughs> like, I think that's what most people would say. So it's interesting. So I've thought a lot about this problem mm -hmm. and uh, it it is brutal that even I, who knew better, still had to chase money to realize that money, it, it isn't that money can't buy happiness. And, and this is where I think some of these phrases go wrong. It's that money can't buy your self-respect. Sure. And what people don't understand that they're actually chasing is self-respect. And at the end of the day, for anybody listening, I'll just tell you right now, the only thing that matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Uh -huh. And all the amazing sex, all the money, all the cars, like it just can't touch that thing. And so if, if you're getting all the boxes checked, but you hate yourself, it, it just feels really, really horrible. So while I agree with you that this is a very hard thing to market, um, it's at least an easy thing to explain. And so, well, but the problem that you run into is it's, I feel like I've seen a meme like this where it's like guy that fucks 100 chicks says casual sex isn't fulfilling guy that's worth nine figures says money can't buy happiness guy that lives in Hollywood Hill says don't need a big house. Right. Like it's hard because it's like, if I were to go back in time and try to explain this to my 18 year old self, like, I don't know if I could do it, but now that I've lived it, I can. Mm. So it's almost like, is there a way to communicate? At least for me, maybe I'm dumb in some ways. I learned so well through experience. <laughs> and like, that seems to be the only way that I learned some problems. So how do you communicate that idea? Like if you're talking to a guy that's, you know, 32 years old, and he had sex with one girl that gave him a hand job in high school and you fucked like a hundred chicks. And you're like, listen up, dude, I'm going to be honest. Casual sex is not all that it's like made up to be. I promise. Like that guy is never going to listen to you. He's like, fuck you. How about I fuck a hundred girls and then I'll decide that it's not worth it for me. You know, yes, it's which so is, hard to communicate, which that, is you know? what you're going to do. And I think, I think so. Do you know the Cassandra complex? I've probably heard about it before. Oh, brother, fresh. you're going to love this. So as a parent, you're going to be like, oh, yes. So I am convinced, Greek mythology, Okay. I am convinced that this was written by somebody trying to capture what it means to be a parent. Okay. And so the Cassandra thing was she slept with a god or whatever, and which you're, you know, in mythology always means you're going to get punished. And so her punishment was, Cassandra, you're going to know the future, but no one will believe you. Okay. And that to me is what it's like to be a parent or what it's like for me to really be the elder statesman here talking to uh, these young, amazing people out there that I know are just trying to chase dreams and make things happen. Uh, but here's the reality. They aren't going to believe me, but I'm hopeful that if I can get them closer to the truth, 
that it will, it'll be a seed planted in their mind and they'll ignore me at first, but then as like life starts, because they're going to encounter reality and then reality is going to prove me right. Yeah. I just think that most people stop at money can't buy you happiness, but what they don't say, which I would like to tell people right now, is the right question to ask is why does the guy who says that money isn't a big deal is saying it from the Beverly Hills mansion? And the answer is because money's powerful. Money's more powerful than you think. It just isn't what you've been told. And so the thing you want money to do, which is make you feel like you feel about that rich person that you're admiring, you want to feel that way about yourself. Money won't do that for you. But money is the great facilitator and people will chase it until the end of time. Money has let me do things that I would not have been able to do without it. It is worth pursuing. It is worth accumulating. It is an incredibly powerful resource, but it's just a resource. So if you don't know what you want to build with it, it will be completely meaningless and it will do nothing and you'll buy a bunch of fancy shit and you will be fucking miserable and really confused. Now, I'll just say the obvious. I would much rather be sad and rich than sad and broke, but I would rather be happy and broke than sad and rich. So ultimately, all that matters is your neurochemistry. But that's real. Fame, same thing. Fame is a double-edged sword. It is not going to make you feel better about yourself. All the accolades in the known universe will not make you like yourself anymore. But fame is incredibly useful and you can leverage it well if you know what you're doing. So it's like, there's a reason that people will pursue these things. And if you can have the right sort of frame on it, it won't disappoint you because you won't expect it to do something that it's never going to do. Yeah. In some ways, money is is more powerful than you think. And in other ways, money is utterly hopeless to help you with certain things you think. Yeah, there's, and all of it at the end of the day, they're all instruments to hopefully effect some other type of end. But if you're just getting it, hoping that it's naturally going to make you feel a certain way about yourself is never going to happen. The um, Sometimes I worry, I worry that I'm like very poisoned against wealth in some ways because of my upbringing. But like some, there's a very, very, very crystal clear dichotomy I have between, on my mom's side of my family, uh, they all came from Cuba. So I've got a lot of family in Hialeah in Miami, or I used to. Um, and there was this crazy dichotomy growing up where my my whole family, immediate family, so all my siblings and my parents, all of them were very obsessed with the American dream. So it was the acquisition of large houses, multiple vehicles, try to do vacations, whatever. And I'm sure you've heard of the term lifestyle creep, right? So this is their money. This is their expenses. More money, more expenses, more money, more expenses. So everybody's got multiple foreclosures, multiple bankruptcies, a lot of stuff, right? And I remember, like, I've argued with my parents, my family for a long time, and it's like, you guys are going to work yourself into the grave. Like, I don't think this is good. And it's always like, nah, once we get this credit card paid off, once we get this card paid off, um, once we get this car paid off, once we get the house paid off, once we get the new pool, like, once you get this, we're going to be able to do all these things with the family. We're going to be able to do all these cool things. We're going to invite everybody over. And now as I watch my family aging, my mom is in the early mid stages of Alzheimer's disease. My mom's little brother... Um, her older brother and then her sister's younger brother died in a car accident like two years ago. And like every, and my aunt is like working full time at Home Depot with a full 20 year NYPD retirement, trying to like hold onto her house. And then I think back to one of the most like poorest places I've ever spent my time in was every summer I would go to Hialeah to hang out with my grandma. And she lived in these like row apartments on both sides. And we're talking like every time it fucking rained, like there's nothing on the floor or on the bottom shelf because every apartment would flood like three or four inches Ooh. and then it would stop raining and it would go down. Like this is how they live their life. But every night 
somebody was like outside barbecuing stuff, black beans and rice, plantains, classic Cuban shit. Everybody was hanging out. Everybody was laughing at each other. Everybody was having fun. Sometimes you'd have like 10 people in one room because the one kid had the fucking Nintendo 64. Um, it felt like in, a, in this weird, like queer, ironic way that my wealthy family was like trying to get enough goods to live the lifestyle that like the broke family was like already living on a weekly basis. And like, don't misunderstand me. All the people in the the apartment townhouses, the, the row houses, I'm sure their life would have been improved by more money. They could have bought a better grill. They could have had a place that didn't flood. Like they could have done things, but the, the, they were happier. Um, and that's just a really hard thing for a lot of people to understand. I think that, all of these like money and all these other things, um, or like you said, they're instruments to achieve something else. They don't produce happiness on their own. They can be a facilitator of happiness, but it has to be deliberate. You have to like put effort into, I got this thing. Now I'm going to use this thing to make myself happier, make other people happy. But sometimes in the pursuit of that thing, you're not even thinking of that. And now you spent so much time acquiring and pursuing things that you don't even know how to, or you've lost the time now or the ability to even use them in ways to make yourself happy. And it's like, fuck, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, so that for me is again, frame of reference. How are you looking at it? What do you expect it to be? Have you outlined what, what do you think money is? What do you think money does for you? How is it going to make you feel? Um, all of that. And if you think it's going to allow you to buy cool things, but that's not going to make you feel any differently about yourself or your life. Cool. Yeah. It will let you do that. And if you have something that you want to build and that's what the money's for, that will pay off in big mm -hmm. ways. Um, I don't think people stop to think about it. I think they fall prey to a cool marketing message and money is the marketing like around somebody like an Andrew Tate with fast cars, girls, private planes, lots of money, big cigars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that marketing feels so awesome. It makes them feel the way they want to feel. And then they just confuse that it's a marketing message and not necessarily a reality message. And so again, people need to define their North star and then make sure that the thing that they're doing leads them to that. Now to your earlier point though, I think most people have to learn the hard way. Maybe. Yeah. But that you sucks. To, yeah. You don't have to learn the hard way. The alternative is you have a good family that like gives it to you at birth and your North Star is kind of like set and you don't have to think about it. But it seems harder and harder, I think, for people to get that right message like right off the start. Like that's an exceedingly rare family, you know. But yeah. No doubt. Talk to me about women. So this becomes one of the ones it it reminds me a little bit of diet. So you can't not eat. So if you have a negative relationship with food, I can't tell you to abstain. And I, I believe, and for now, I'll just take the default heterosexual assumption. Um, I do think that it was a very worthwhile endeavor for me to learn how to attract a woman because I didn't know how to do it. And so for a very long time, I could not get into a successful relationship which I will say, this won't be universally accepted by uh, the comment section or chat, as you would say. Okay. Um, but I would say that I'll, I'll mark that in the early days as an ability to get laid. So I knew how to befriend and I knew how to have a meaningful emotional exchange with a woman. I did not know how to navigate crossing the line and being the kind of person that she would want to sleep with. Okay. Which is a, um, I'm not, I'm not prudish about sex. I don't have like sort of a, God, what would you call it? Trad row. I don't okay, know. Sure. Uh, but I, 
So I'm not somebody that's trying to rack up like as many women as I can, but it was meaningfully meaningful to me to have a variety. And that was a really important arc for me to go through of like, oh, now I know how to get laid. Like that was really, really meaningful. And that feels like a dying art. It feels like, I don't know if it's social media mixed with dating apps, whatever, mixed with me too, mixed with video games and pornography. Like there's that cocktail, whatever that is. Um, I would say I buy into the idea that there's a mating crisis. I'd love to know if you think that we are, are we in an abnormal time right now? And either way, do you see a better path that we could be walking as young men trying to have meaningful relationships with women? Um, okay. That was a lot. Which part that of that do you want me lot. to go first? Are, are we, are we, are we in, in a mating, mating crisis? crisis? We probably are, but the answer for why is so, in my opinion, is so much more boring than people make it out to be. I think that when people talk about a mating crisis, they're like, we've lost the ability for men and women to communicate with each other and men are becoming too feminine to get laid and microplastics are drying up our sperm reserves and blah, blah, blah. I think that the actual answer is a lot more boring. And I think the actual answer is that given the ability to work jobs and like have autonomy over their lives, women don't want to choose to be like locked away as moms at like 18, 19, 20 years old. That's a really hard sell. Like if you were to tell men that like, hey, listen, when you turn 21, I need you to take like seven years off your career building years to just like be a father and like do that and then maybe go back to work. Like no, like almost no man would take that choice. Be like, fuck that. I'm like, these are the, these are the best working years, fucking years, every year of my life. Why would I ever do that? And lo and behold, um, kind of with the education thing. There's a lot of stuff. This is why I always fight when people are like, oh, biology, men and women are different. We are different to some extent, but we're way more in, in, we have way more in common than we think. And I think for a long time, the idea is like, a woman doesn't want to go to school, doesn't want to work a job, doesn't want to have recreational sex. Like women don't want to do any of these things. Like that's biologically hardwired. But the reality is if you tweak like a couple things, now all of a sudden we're like, you know what? I do want to work a job. I do want to travel. I do want to have freedom. I do want to be able to fuck guys and not have kids. So like women are enjoying that kind of like freedom. And that's a Pandora's box that when you open it, it's never going back. So if anybody that tells you, well, the solution is we need to get rid of birth control, that's dumb. So we're past that point, right? So now the issue that you're contending with is life offers you so much fun and excitement um, at your at your fingertips, very easy to access, very cool, very awesome. Children in a family are a lot of work. There's a lot of friction there's a lot of friction in even finding a, a guy or a woman that you want to marry, right? Then there's even more friction about setting up the family. Then there's even more friction about maintaining the family and doing the growth, right? That having the opportunity to do that versus all of this other freedom, it's not surprising to me that more and more people are opting in this direction. And I'm pretty sure that that's a pattern that every single country in the developmental history of the planet has followed. As your country becomes more industrialized, as women gain access to more opportunity, that the number of children plummets. And in every single industrialized country in the world, I think except for like Israel, I think every other country, the birth rate is below replacement. And yeah. Now the question becomes that, is that like money where there is something really real there that you can get, but that people are framing it wrong and not, that's not leading them to happiness. Cause I have, I have a base assumption that, um, I think the wall, as they call it, where a woman will get to, let's say, partner at her law firm. She's 39, hasn't had kids yet. And all of a sudden she's like, why am I working this hard? That feels, I haven't looked at the studies or anything, but that feels intuitively correct to me from a biological standpoint, where at some point there is a hole, there's a hole in my heart for kids. Now, maybe I'm a more effeminate man. I think that would be a very um, fair 
characterization. So I might be more prone to that than the next guy. But I would say that as a default, when I just look at it from an evolutionary perspective, a woman is going to have evolutionary winds at her back, pushing her to want a child. I think the, um, so obviously this gets hard, especially when we're in Evo psych territory. I think the thing I have to be careful when we say like evolutionarily is there might, there sometimes triggers can be there in very unobvious ways. And it might be the fact that there is not as much an evolutionary push as we might otherwise think. So for instance, like here's a question I'm going to answer for you because I know your answer. If I were to ask you, do you think that evolutionarily we're supposed to be obese? The answer is obviously no. But then if you look, it's like, well, hold on. We love sugar so much. Why? Well, the reality is way back in the days of our hunter-gathering time periods, you know, 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 BC and earlier, that drive to consume sugary things, that was really good because you don't find that many of them in the wilderness. When you find it, you want to eat it and it's good. Your body's going to hold on to those calories as well as it can, but whatever. But who cares? That that trigger can't possibly do anything bad to you. But, you know, evolution can't predict the future. We didn't know we would have mass carbs, farming, all this stuff available to us. And now that drive gets tripped really hard when we're provided with those foods to eat constantly. I think when it comes to women and wanting to have children, I don't know if you need that like evolutionary kick at like 30, because my guess is going to be when you go back in time, men and women, you actually know this because if you compare like wealthy people to poor people, men and women with nothing to do will fuck and make kids. I don't know if you need a push for it. I don't know if you need an evolutionary drive for it. I don't know if that's super hardwired biology. My guess is if you go back in time, like a 23 year old woman is not like, man, I hope my desire for children kicks in soon. There probably isn't much to do. So they're just fucking all the time. That'd be my guess. Well, so that mm-hmm. to me is the evolutionary push. Sure. So- but what I'm saying is like when somebody is like 30 or 40, I don't know if like a woman feeling like I don't have kids. I don't know if that's like a strong, like, oh my God, my biological clock ticked past 12 o'clock and now I feel bad. Or if it's just like society is like, don't you want kids? Shouldn't you have kids? And you've seen enough baby movies and you're like, fuck, I don't know what the answer is. I'm just saying I could see it being like one way or the other. Like if somebody told me that there was no internal push to have children, I, I would believe it. If that was a fact, I would believe it because you probably don't need that push because everybody's fucking as soon as they turn whatever teen year anyway, you know, mm. but, but I could say going either way. Yeah. But if you look at the sex rates, which is the one sort of piece of data that I, I think I have a handle on, which is that, um, at least leading up to COVID, it was declining. I've heard some conflicting data as to whether now it's Returned going back it, yeah. up or if it's gone down more, but, mm-hmm. uh, let's assume that it it's renormalizing, but we had like that tremendous dip And one of the things that I think led to that certainly is the choice. There's just more options. And so to your point, if previously women were artificially kept out of a lot of things, then motherhood was a very compelling uh, thing that they could do with their life, which gave them fulfillment and gave them a sense of meaning and purpose and all that. And so it makes all the sense in the world that they would pursue that. But then as your options widen, especially if you feel like, oh, I can wait, I can wait, I can wait. But then the stats in that are horrible And it really starts declining, I think, like after 30, where even though you can conceive in your 40s, now you're talking IVF, most people, that's not going to work. So uh, you you create a scenario. Basically, I'm going to keep seeing if I can make this thesis work out because this feels intuitively correct, but I don't have enough data. But I think it's just like money, where it is something that I get why people pursue because you want to, like even for guys, you want to be promiscuous, you want to run around, you want to not have kids, you want to play the game, you want to you know, get rich, uh, have a lot of sex, et cetera, et cetera. But then at some point you realize, ooh, wait a second, there's, there is a hole in my heart is how I think about it. 
that hasn't been filled. And so that was something I, I thought a lot about. Okay. So that's sort of the thesis there, but I don't want to get too far afield. The, the real question that I want to ask is, um, going back to the mating crisis and men, how much do you think of the, if we're saying being male, typically male is bad and it's toxic. And so we're sort of culturally beating that out of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're giving them, I think they're called sedations. Uh, in researching you, I was introduced to that term. I had not heard that before. Uh, Doesn't include like pornography and stuff? Yeah, okay. porn, video games, whatever. Uh, things that make them not care to pursue it. Uh, I'll throw in a little bit of me too in terms of the fear of just making the approach and looking like an asshole and getting blasted. Um, so you've got this cocktail of things that makes guys more reticent to pursue that. Um, do you think that that's real, that we do have that contributing to this? So it isn't just that women have additional choices. It's also that men are, and I I think this plays out twofold. Men don't have as strong of an impetus to pursue women. And we're not doing anything culturally to say, Hey, you need to get good at this. And then two, that there's a bit of, um, if men are really failing in some of the ways that it seems like they're failing and hypergamy is real where women just have a natural proclivity to date across or up. Um, then it's like, they need men to be better and they need men to perform well and to be rising at least at the same rate that women are rising. Uh Um, does that cocktail feel right? Or do you think I'm off on something? Um, I, I don't think I conceptualize all of it in exactly the same way, but there's probably a lot of ways that I conceptualize it that would probably map onto what you're saying. Um, there's a lot of thoughts that I have. Um, there's a lot of thoughts I have when it comes to dating and sex that I, I almost feel like I'm on an Island on these things. Like it feels like at least in like the spaces that talk about it, I feel like I don't hear much. Um, I actually, I thought a lot about this because I feel like I have, I'm, I ver- feel very comfortable around women. I've always felt comfortable like talking to women and doing all of that. And I try to think a lot, like how, like where did this come from? And I think in some ways the answer is very illuminating. Otherwise the answer is very disappointing. Uh, when I grew up, um, I had a lot of friends that were girls and I did, I think I took that for granted growing up, especially because my high school was an all boys high school. So I would think if anything, I'm like at a big disadvantage, but, um, do some incredibly random stroke of luck. When I was 14, 15, there happened to be a girl that lived near me and I, my dad had just moved away. I wasn't old enough yet for a driver's license. Even if it was, I couldn't afford a car. And she ended up being my ride to school. And because I was her ride to school, I was like her little, basically like I was trapped with her because I would go to school. It was a 30 minute, 20, 30 minute drive. Um, and then once at once she dropped me off at school and she went to school. She went to Marion high school. It's an all girls high school. She would come pick me up, but she would want to hang out with her friends and stuff. So I would basically be roped along, always hanging out with her and then like her four or five friends. And so from a very early age, like I've always just been like talking to women, interacting with women. I think I dated like three different women in that group of friends, but not because I was like some Riz master that read like all the perfect red pill stuff, but just because I happened to spend a lot of time around women. So it kind of made sense. What Um, were you picking up on though that let you be successful? I, I think I think it's I think it's just an experience thing. Like you just like start talking to women and it's just like whatever, you know? That's like it's like like how do you tremendously terrible advice, Destiny? Come I know. On. So the, the thing on. that I the thing that I always tell people is like that, yeah, like the best time to learn how to like deal with women is like ten years ago when you were in high school. Because but how like, if do you, you deal with women? Like what was the punchline? Is it all intuitive for you and you literally don't know exactly what you're doing? Um in terms of like actual interactions, there's a lot of things that um I don't know. There's so many like random little things. Um, here, here, I'll just, here's a couple that come to mind. Um, I drew this graph on my stream a while ago 
when when people talk about like a balance between masculinity and femininity, it's like the ultimate man is like 100 masculine, like five feminine. And the ultimate woman is like 100 feminine, like five masculine. In my opinion, I think the best type of people, like the best man is like 100 masculine, like 90 feminine. And the best woman is like 100 feminine, like 90 masculine. When I think of like my way of like dealing with women, or if I think of like why people are attracted to me, like I think that's because I have a very contrasting set of characteristics. Like in one sense, there are some things I can do that some people would characterize as like hyper-masculine, like screaming at people online, getting very animated, blah, blah, blah. And to be able to go from doing that to like playing a nice song on my piano or like hugging and playing with like your cat or dog, like that contrast in traits is, I can tell when I interact with people that that's a really big deal for some people. They really like the aspects of me that are masculine and they really like the aspects of me that are feminine. But when you go into like the red pill spaces, they say things like, oh, like um, feminine Feminine traits will turn a woman off completely. If you ever cry in front of a woman, she'll leave you immediately. And I know from I know from personal experience that like if I cry in front of a woman, she's gonna stay with me forever because like, oh my God, that's such a special moment that like only I get to see, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that balance between like feminine and masculine traits is really important. Having like contrasting characters and personalities. Um that's like one aspect. A second aspect that I notice, and this is just a good people skill, period. Um, this manipulation strategy is so good, it works on me, even if I know somebody's doing it. Everybody at the end of the day just wants somebody to like listen to them and understand them. If you're willing to just like sit back, listen to people, ask enough questions to like let them kind of like talk about themselves and like, you know, flesh out their lives, really lame questions like, how did that make you feel? For a lot of people, they've like never heard another person genuinely interested in like asking a question like this. And it feels so good to have somebody care about it like that and to share those things. Like those are the types of things I'm thinking about when I'm like, if I'm like trying to get a woman to like me, if I'm trying to pick somebody up or whatever, these are the strategies. It's never like the red pill, like ultra masculine games. It's usually things to do with like communication or making somebody feel like seen or heard. But I'll say on the back end, it is important that I have like that masculine aspect too, because I'm not just here to be like a little simp beta bitch. Like I'm going to ask you how you genuinely feel about something. And then I might make fun of you a little bit for it, but you know, I don't actually hate you for it. Right. Like that's like the, the balance that, that I think of. Um, there's probably like other things that I employ too, but like all of these things are like people's skills. Oh, I will say this as funny and stereotypical as it is. Um, I'm sure this actually had a lot of impact on how I dealt with people. Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. That should probably be like a must read book for like every single person in existence. There's a lot of really good, like basic people skills. I think I learned like in, I think I read that in like seventh grade. Um, yeah, but fuck, don't ask me that. I don't remember what I remember was I remember reading the book and I remember trying some of the things on people in real life and being surprised. But I don't want to quote anything in particular because now I'm worried that it wasn't in the book. Yeah. But like, I, I remember, for instance, like there were some kids, I did gymnastics growing up. And I don't know that there was like a kid that like really fucking didn't like me for whatever reason. And I want to say I picked this up as it was in that book. I think it had to do with like, uh, if you're kind to people, if you compliment people, they cannot be mean to you. It is impossible that if somebody's treating you like shit and you're like, I'm sorry, dude, I, I legit, I fucked up. Like, you're right. They can't be mean to anyone. It's impossible to do it. And I remember like using that and I got that kid to like me a lot. Um, little strategies like asking people for help. It's like the most flattering thing in the world. If you've got a coworker that fucking hates you and whatever, and you're like, hey, listen, like you're really good at this. Can you show me how to do this? Like it just makes people feel like so good to be like, yeah, I can't help you with like, you know. Um, yeah, there was a lot in like getting people to compete with each other. Yeah, I don't remember everything. I just remember reading it in, in, in I think, grade school and high school and trying to incorporate a lot of that into how I deal with people. And, yeah, Very smart. Now, do you, at, so uh, by the way, for people that don't know you, 
at least from what I saw online, you're in an open marriage. Yeah. Cuck relationship, apparently, to all the red pillars, but yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> That's a very direct way to say it. Uh, but so that means these are things that you're still deploying right now. So I want to understand, do you consider it to be good at enticing a woman? Do you consider it manipulation? Um, this is something I've thought about for a long time. So like in my early to mid twenties, I think I was pretty manipulative in terms of like how I approach people. Um, but I think I grew out of that. Like any, this is something that I hate saying. This is the worst thing in the world to say that like be yourself thing. But most of the inter, almost every interaction that I'll have with a woman or a man, it stems from some genuine interest. Like if I'm asking you questions about something, it's not because I'm thinking like, I know that if I can get you to talk about yourself for like an hour, that we'll be fucking later tonight. Like I'm not thinking that. Usually it's chicks I'm genuinely like, I'm kind of interested in. Like it's hard for me to hang around people that I don't like for an extended period of time. Like you're, you're getting like 30 to 60 minutes max out of me. And then I'll be like, okay, I'll see you later. And then we're like done forever. So if I'm asking somebody questions, it's because because like there is a genuine interest there. I am remembering things that are being said so I can make jokes or callbacks or references later. Like I am keeping track of like what's going on because I'm genuinely interested in the person. And if you can communicate interest to somebody like that feels good. Like is that manipulation? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, manipulation implies like some level of being disingenuous and I'm not generally disingenuous. So yeah. I've long lamented that we need another word because my wife and I, we talk a lot about this. So we've been married for over 20 years. In fact, almost 21 in a month. Uh, and one of the things that we've said is that we, and again, we influence may be the closer thing, but we've influenced each other a lot. And the one promise that we made to each other very early on in the relationship is, look, I'm going to, back then we would have said manipulate. I'm going to manipulate you. But the only trick that I'm going to play on you is that I will always tell you exactly what I'm doing. And the reason that I'm telling you is I don't ever want you to feel like I'm, you know, doing something behind Running your back game. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, I want you to know exactly what I'm trying to get out of this. And so there's no way that I would have become as successful as an entrepreneur if I hadn't had my wife. Um, cause at the beginning of our marriage it was very traditional. She was a stay at home wife and I went out and worked. And so she was sort of maneuvering through the world through me. And so it was like, if she didn't think I was being tough enough or asking for enough or pushing hard enough or whatever, she, in the way that only a woman can would reward and punish, you know, based on wanting me to be tougher or more aggressive. And so that ended up being an amazing tool in my arsenal. And so likewise, if there were things that she was doing that I didn't like, um, it was reward and punish and, and, you know, let's put punish in air quotes, but, um, making sure that she really understood what I liked and what I didn't like. And by doing that, we've really shaped each other. Mm -hmm. And all of those tools are the thing that I had to learn to finally start getting laid. Mm -hmm. And so like you, I never felt like I was being manipulative, but I knew what I was doing. And my journey went something like this. I, I was the cliche that people tried to warn you about. So I would show up on the first date with poetry, custom written for you. Oh yes. And flowers and unironically PS and really was very confused. That Wait, unironically PS. What's that? Uh, just meaning I was showing up with flowers and poetry for my generation. Oh, okay, okay, that okay. was like that. Even back then that was probably pretty cringe, Yeah, but uh, it felt right. It felt like a, a thing to acknowledge that I was very excited to be out with you, that I thought a lot about you. On and my like third time, my third date with my like first kind of like real girlfriend in high school, I brought her flowers and then she dumped me and I found out she was a lesbian. 
So yeah. I remember I had my cringe moments Surprise too. Surprise <laughs> ending. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I finally, after years of this, went to this guy and was like, uh, what's the secret? Because he was very successful with women. What's the secret? And he's like, oh, Tom, you just have to treat him like an asshole. And I was like, dude, come on. Like, that's the most cliche shit ever. And I've seen him with women and he's not. And so I was like, what, what is he actually trying to say? And I realized just by looking at his behavior and saying, okay, he's calling it being an asshole, but what is it really? Because he was very charming. And I realized, oh, what he is, is he's willing to walk away. Yes. Holy shit. Um, something that I had to deal with for so much of my life, and people will say this about me constantly. Uh, people always say that like, Destiny, you're actually, the way that you interact with them is super red pill. Like you neg them all the time. You're constantly mean. You're such an asshole, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm never, I'm very, very, very rarely mean to somebody though. And I try to communicate this to my fan base a lot that like, if you ever see me interacting with somebody and I'm like nagging somebody, it's always over stuff that is like fair game to be playful about, right? There's never been a girl that I've liked and we're like joking around and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, you're kind of fat though. I would like <laughs> never do that, right? Never, never. If I'm like making fun of things, it's stuff that we know is like kind of, you know, we're like, we're joking around. And for a lot of women, or it seems to be the case that for a lot of women, it's really hard to find a person that like is respectful of you, but will also give you a lot of shit, but will do it in kind of like a funny, playful way. Because it seems like you've either got, um, you can do like a liberal conservative dichotomy. You've either got the guy in the left who's like just the ultra simp and he's like texting you like, please tell me good night tonight. Like you haven't texted me back, right? Blah, blah, blah. Or you've got the guy who's like too far to the right, who's like kind of like funny and charming and shit, but he actually treats you like shit and doesn't respect you at all. And um, something I know, I noticed this really early on, um, I think in my early college days, that if I was talking to a girl, and I noticed a lot of guys do this, you talk to a girl like, oh, what's your favorite band? Um, Third Eye Blind, oh, mine too. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Oh, and it's like, oh, mine too, right? You say these things, that if I was talking to a girl and she said some shit, I'm like, oh, what's your favorite band? And she's like, I really like Linkin Park. And I'm like, oof, what a horrible, <laughs> horrible group of musicians. As soon as I say it, like, their eyes will light up and then we're like fighting over it. And that type of interaction I could tell for the girl was the first time that like a guy had ever said like, I think that I don't like that whatever thing. But I'm not like being here like, your taste in music is shit and you're just, a gar right? It's just like a fun thing to fight about but um that what you talk about a lot of people will see kind of the ways that interact with people and they're like oh my god like you're such an asshole you know like, i'm not i'm an incredibly respectful person and i'm pretty sure any girl i've ever interacted with will say as much like i'm never pushy for sex i'm never like doing any like weird like running game or being manipulative or being an asshole like i'm just like playfully like messing around with things that are fair game to mess around with i i, I bring this up too because sometimes i've gotten clips of like fans doing things like in games or whatever where they're interacting with people and then i see people try to copy some of the things but they are just being mean and it's really hard to communicate with people because sometimes my fans are things like oh like why did you get mad when this person said this about you but you say this thing all the time and it's like these are it's not the same i don't know how to communicate that like when i'm doing that i'm just like playing around and everybody knows it yeah